Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello and welcome to the Everything Is Black and White podcast. It's the view from the opposition. This week it comes from Tom Phillips, a Brighton fan and podcaster, who will give us the insight into Newcastle's opponents this Saturday. Before we kick on, please consider voting for us in the Football Contenter Creator Award of 2023. If you can hit the link in the description and pop the Everything Is Black and White podcast into the best Premier League podcast category and click submit, we really would appreciate it. Tom, I hope you voted. Thanks for popping onto the podcast. How are you keeping? I'm keeping very well, thanks. Looking forward to this weekend's match. It's going to be a good one. It certainly is. And our listeners will get sick of me seeing it, but I'm going to say it one final time before the international break. If you are a neutral, this has the potential to really entertain. I've said it for every game Newcastle have played so far this Premier League season. Bit of hit and miss, but then I guess if you are a neutral, you probably would have enjoyed seeing Liverpool win in the last minute and the red Carter Van Dyke, etc. I do think this game has the potential to be very, very entertaining. I didn't expect to be coming into this episode, though, having seen Brighton lose and quite convincingly against West Ham. So what went wrong? What did West Ham do so right? Um, I think very simply, they just didn't, didn't press us. When you look at the clips that Deserby, whenever Brighton have played under Deserby, especially during the preseason, you can see that the way they play with the ball whenever they've got a press coming, they've got three or four really good chances to just keep possession, keep the ball moving, and all of a sudden break out in attack. West Ham didn't do that. We like to exploit that space between the midfield and the defence, but you know, West Ham were playing with basically four banks of defensive wall. Essentially, they part the bus. And uh, that, but by the way, that's not me criticising West Ham. I don't like to do that because if you park the bus and it works, it works. A fair play. It's football at the end of the day. We can't all like to play tiki-taki, attractive football. It's lovely to see, but you know, you're only there to get the win. And West Ham did that. It also helped that Ariola was just on sensational form. I think he made six really good saves. So an absolute dream for anyone that picked him in fantasy last week. But it was a nightmare for us because we just could not seem to break West Ham convincingly enough and take those chances. West Ham, however, you know, they when they pressed, they punished our weak links in defence. And once they got the ball and got the advantage in play, they, they, they just broke out and exploited that space. They countered it really, really well. And that I think for for them, that was that was the answer they've been looking for for well the last 12 meetings that we went unbeaten against them since we've been in the Premier League. That's their first win against us since our promotion all those years ago. 
you know, I, I can't, you can't really argue it because they just set up so well in the first 10 minutes. I was like, yeah, West Ham are going to get this. They're going to, they're going to smash and grab this win. And they did fairly and quite rightly so. They, they played, we played right into their trap and they counted really well. So from a Brighton point of view, what will the manager have taken from that defeat and what would he take from it into the game against Newcastle in terms of maybe a lesson to be learned? Um, I think Zerbi's got to realise that not everyone's going to press. I think a lot of the time we hear about, you know, gig and pressing and pressing and putting pressure on the team every single time it happens. That's very common in the Premier League. We know that. We know that's why it's such an exciting league and such an exciting um, type of football to watch week in, week out. It's why so many people want to play here. But, you know, that there are teams that aren't afraid to play the slow game, like to try and drown it out and just let let us mess about with the ball, but get absolutely nowhere with it. So what we need to do is think of that plan B plan. Well, I think it's unfair because Zerbi has plenty of different plans, but he needs to think of a different plan altogether to get that answer and that breakthrough because playing against a part of the bus team when we play right into their trap is very hard to get the three points. What we need is something to play against a part of the bus uh, routine to break them very convincingly and then to scramble up for another plan because at the end of the day, that's how you're going to win it. And that's on the mental game, especially in those type of matches. Yeah. In terms of a response then, what do you think the Zerbi has been telling the players this week and, and what kind of response are you are you expecting from, from the squad? Uh, I, think, I think it's going to be one of, um, well, one with fire in their hearts, really. It's, Zerbi is such a passionate man and he does he doesn't do things by halves and I think you can see that from the antics that you see on the touchline and in his press in, in his press chats and conferences he's someone that wants a response quickly and he's not afraid if it's you know Newcastle United or Walsall or you know Real Madrid if it's the next match he wants that response quickly and he, he won't look into beyond, oh, it's Newcastle, is it? Oh, we might change plan B. No, it's going to be, no, it's Newcastle. I want this response. And I think we've seen that mentality shift very quickly since he joined us when Potter left. I think a lot of the times we've been under Potter, we are like, yeah, we're bright and we're doing well. We're kind of going, we're going to punching above our weight here. Now we've had our captain Lewis Dunn go on record to say, no, we want to win the Europa League. And I think that's credit to Deserby, his mentality. And I think... After the game, when you see those players as they walk down the tunnel, they all look to each other like they were they were almost having a go at each other and going at each other's throats. Not in a bad way, but in a kind of like I expect better from you and I expect better from myself. Come on, we could do this. And they were just letting it letting all that anger out. And I think that's what Deserby wants in this week. And especially when we've got international break as well. We we want to finish this short period of Premier League football on a high, especially with Europa League now around the corner. 20 days until we face either of Ajax and Marseille, you know, two former Champions League winners and AEK Athens. It's a tough group to have on paper. So we need to make sure that we send a message to these guys, consider we're absolute novices in, on the European stage and be like, we're not afraid of you. So we need to we need to really get that result that we so desperately want. It sounds very similar to how Newcastle United might be feeling, you know, a bit upset, a bit angry at the results against Liverpool, a bit frustrated with themselves that they didn't capitalise on 
the situation that was in front of them. And of course, like you say, their European football coming around the corner against some big names as well, the likes of PSG and, and Borussia Dortmund. So Newcastle might be uh, on a similar wavelength there about sending a message, sending a statement. And and to be fair, there's not uh, many bigger statements than you can send than, than beating Brighton because they are, for many, their second favourite team. The plaudits at the Zerbi and the side have deservedly been getting, have been on a national scale. Uh, they are tipped for big things again this season. They started the season very well, scoring a lot of goals, entertaining football. Um, is the result, the performance... I mean, it, was it a case that West Ham just played very well tactically rather than Brighton played very badly? Yeah, exactly that. West Ham, West Ham won it because West Ham were the better side. They worked their tactics so, so well. They really just kind of, with the Zerbi football, you'll see that he likes to exploit the space behind the midfield just before the defence. That little kind of like half space areas and those little boxed areas, he loves exploiting them. Once he gets in that moment, watch what happens. Chance after chance after chance is created. That's why we have such a ridiculous high shots tally because of those little moments there. It West Ham just, the space was that big. And when I say, I know for people who listen on the podcast, it's about the width of my head. They were just that tight between the midfield and the defence. So we just needed that moment where we were just like, we need to exploit those spaces. We did manage to have our chances. We weren't, we didn't have, um, chances weren't few and far between. They were, we had plenty there and we had some really, really good chances too. But Ariola was just, he was a man possessed. He was superb. It was a goalkeeping masterclass from him. And it was a tactical masterclass from David Moyes on these outfield players. He needs to set up 10 players to do exactly what he needed. And he basically needs to pray to Ariola and just be like, you, you just need magnets for in your gloves. And he did. He, it, all the saves that he did were superb saves. And he was just, we came out of that match and we're just like, you know, we, could, we can't be angry with that. Yeah, we were angry. We wanted to win and we felt like we were the better side, obviously. But at the same time, you just think West Ham had a game plan, worked a treat, and Ariola was just superb. It worked a treat. It, it was a double whammy for West Ham. Arguably, you could say it's an overdue win against us. They haven't beaten us since we've been in the Premier League and we had some cracking results there um, at, at, in, at the London Stadium too, as well as at home. But it, it was only a matter of time for them to break that duck and they did it really well. It, there, there, there's no complaints our end. West Ham were just very good tactically. It's really interesting to hear you kind of share how West Ham did it because if I think back to the game up here against Brighton last season, the game that really sealed Newcastle's uh, Champions League fate 4-1 in the end. It wasn't as comfortable as that on, on on the actual pitch, although Brighton, from my memory, didn't really threaten too much. But on that evening, Newcastle did press and they pressed so well and they didn't give Brighton a moment on the ball. And Brighton just couldn't seem to handle uh, Newcastle when they were in the face. And then there was also kind of the the aspect of hitting them on, on the counter. I think the final two goals, uh, one was from a press, I think, and the second one more was it was a counter. Um, and that was a tactical masterclass from anyhow that night. For me, that was that still remains the game where you where you just have to applaud anyhow for getting the better of the opposition. But it sounds like this time around, if Newcastle do press, that might play into Brighton's hands. Uh, I, I would say so, yes. Uh, I would totally agree on that assumption there. I think what's important to point out there as well is 
we were on damage control mode when we went to St. James's Park. We knew we were in for a tough shift. And I wouldn't say I wouldn't say we, we were out in second gear. We weren't playing at our best. And I don't think we were going we we weren't going full gong how as we have done in the past matches. The FA Cup run tied us out. We got humbles by Forest away. But results were starting to turn our way, fortunately. And we knew that, you know, if we got that win against Manchester United, that's it. That 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 that's our European status confirmed. And I don't think anyone saw us drawing with Manchester City either. That was just a sensational game. But when you look at the lineup we had there, Yang Paul Van Heck was very inexperienced, partnered up with Lewis Dunk. We had Caicedo playing right back because both Veltman and Lamptey were injured or just suspended. I can't remember which one. Um, our midfield wasn't there. Our, our wingers were shattered at this point. And we just, we were playing 90 minutes, catching up. We I think we had that point, we had three games in hand as well and they were all congested in May. So there were a lot of, lot of kind of like meetings though that's kind of say right we need to prioritize where we're getting these points realistically were we going to get this against Newcastle United St James's Park you know 50,000 Geordies bellowing it out and making sure that they could get their side to the Champions League again I mean if someone in that office said yes I mean they got their P45 very very quickly so I think it was very much a case of damage limitations from our end but I mean you I mean, to say you humbled us was just a, was an understatement because it, it was annihilation. And I think as well, as soon as you realised that we weren't pushing on, there wasn't really that much of an answer for us to get to lose by five, six, seven goals. It could have easily been that way, but it didn't. Ha- but it didn't happen. And I think what we're going to see this week is a very, very open game of football because Newcastle want to get that win because I felt they're going to probably feel robbed from the Liverpool match. I think it was quite hard done by what happened. And then I think from Brighton's end, we need a response quickly after that West Ham match. So no one's going to be back to the walls job here or doing any damage control, playing out for draw. Both of us are going to be playing out for a win, especially with the international break just around the corner. Yeah, I totally agree with you. I think there'll be goals in this game. And obviously we've talked about how West Ham did it, but I think Newcastle have got the better attacking options and, and they maybe believe in themselves a little bit more when it comes to their attacking options. So you won't necessarily see them, as you said, they kind of backs to the wall and trying to absorb Brighton as much as as West Ham did. And of course, we you know we're talking about how you stop Brighton, but Brighton have got to stop Newcastle United as well, because when Newcastle United do get on the ball and in those transitions, they are forced to be reckoned with and they will want to rid the memory of Sunday against Liverpool, where they didn't really do themselves, uh, uh, you know, just because they were they were better than what happened in that second half. It was really, it was interesting, annoying, frustrating. They just seemed to lack a bit of confidence. You know, they needed to be in control. They had a lot of the ball. They were passing it about, but no one wanted to make that killer move. No one wanted to make that killer pass. And it'll be different on on Saturday, of course. And and you know, I think anyhow, references after the Liverpool game that actually having the man advantage played into Liverpool's hands. So you'll be hoping that no one gets sent off. Uh, for Brighton, um, what have you made of Newcastle so far? When I you know I don't know how much you've seen of, of them this season. I mean, nothing much has really changed from last season. But what have you made of them? I've I've been watching Newcastle quite a fair bit because of uh, obviously we both went up that season and from the Championship, and you managed to grab our grab the Championship trophy, which was 
which should have been ours really on paper. I mean, I think any neutral would be like that was that was our title to lose, and we just we we were just at the beach, literally at the beach, um, in that running, and we deservedly shouldn't have gone on to go up as winners. I've I do enjoy the story behind Newcastle United. There was a lot of things going on with Mike Ashley, and now you've got um the PIF taking over the club and really exciting time you know Newcastle fans have always been like we deserve to be in the Champions League a club of that stature is a big club and you you want to see them playing in the biggest and best competitions in the world so watching them on Eddie Howell has been a joy to watch and it's quite refreshing to see an English manager breaking into the top four once again it's been quite quite a long time overdue if you ask me watching them this season again there's this caution almost in the air about Champions League just around the corner. We need to get the points in, need to get that running. And I've seen quite a fair few things on Newcastle's Twitter comparison to Brighton's Twitter are very similar in the fact that depth seems to be the issue. Um, don't have a right back at the moment. Veltman is a, is a makeshift right back. Milner is a makeshift full back. The only right back we have is Tarek Lamptey. And we don't we really seem to be recruiting that much in in that department. The Stupinlands are only left back in our team, only recognised left back in our team. So depth is definitely an issue, especially in defence. And when it doesn't go our way, we get exploited. Look what happened at St James's Park last season. I know I'm repeating myself there. Um, I I really like how Newcastle are playing. I really like what's going on with Howe and Tisdale and how they're working things out. It's quite exciting to see. And I'm liking, you know, how Joe Linton's been shifted from a striker to a decent box-to-box midfielder. How, um, you know, Bruno Gomerich, I think he's just a wonderful footballer to watch. And also as well... We've got we've we've got a bit of um bit of a soft touch for Dan Byrne. Big Dan Byrne has been you know he, he's been a bit of a a fan favourite for us. He was superb under Potter, and when he when the knock on the door came from his boyhood club to come and say, "Can you help us out?" I mean, we could we couldn't argue with it. We couldn't just say, "No, you're staying with us." He, he went with our blessing, and fair play, he's done wonders for it. Um, getting them getting to the Carabao Cup final. That there's a lot there that we can talk about endlessly about Newcastle United. It's a very exciting time this season. It'd be really interesting to see how they fare in the Champions League, especially when it's fair to say um, we, we could say that that's the group of death, really. No, one hundred percent, it is the group of death. But uh, when you've waited so long, twenty-one years to get back to the Champions League, you you surely want to face the best teams. Eddie Howe always wants to plot your side against the best teams and. I think he'll be absolutely relishing that 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 challenge, and 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 why not? And you know, coming here to St James's Park on a on a Tuesday, Wednesday night, and the lights, it, it, you know, it it will be daunting for 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 any team, uh, and I'm really looking forward to it. You mentioned there a couple of players, Julinson, Bruno, Dan Byrne. I was going to ask you later on the show, but I'll ask it now about the man from Newcastle point of view that you're most looking forward to see slash you think Deserby will be. Most worried about? Uh, It's a tough one. I think you'll be looking at Bruno Gomeres in midfield, his influence, and I think he's also going to be looking at the threat that Isaac will have up top. If I was Eddie Howe and I was looking at how Michael Antonio just had Adam Webster on strings last weekend, 
he I'll be licking my lips and rubbing my hands thinking geez if Antonio can do that what can Isaac do what can Wilson do if they can exploit what Webster's done and I think even if Webster gets dropped you know Van Heck's going to have a handful against that team I don't think you're going to have any issues with Lewis Dunk I think the issue is going to be whoever Dunk is partnered up with at that back and Isaac and Isaac and Wilson or both um might have a bit of a field day there. I, I do expect it to be end to end. I think it's going to be a lot of goals, and I wouldn't be surprised if Isaac. I, I would be surprised if he doesn't get on the score sheet because it's it's going to be an interesting one for sure. Is that the main weakness then of Brighton? Is it that centre back pairing, or, or at least the person who, as you say, there plays alongside Lewis Dunk? Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's either that or right back because James Milner at the moment is our makeshift right back and we still are playing, based on West Ham's match, we were playing setting ourselves up like as if we push our full backs forward a lot and whenever West Ham broke us out on the counter, they focus on their left, left uh, on their left wing, which is Milner's job. But, you know, Milner's in his late 30s. I mean, don't get me wrong. The guy's an absolute unit and a specimen. He smashed all of the fitness tests yet again at Brighton. He's done it with Liverpool before, but he just doesn't have that pace. He can play 90 minutes, but if we're expecting someone to play right back and bomb it, bam- bomb it up and down that wing, you know, we need someone like Tarek Lamptey in. But Lamptey's got injury. He's getting that nasty injury-prone trait in him. And I think Deserby's losing patience with that. I think that's why we're seeing Milner playing at right back at the start of the season before we even had a congested period in the fixture list. So I think that side of defence is definitely going to be a worry for us. And there's going to be a lot of responsibility on the two midfielders. And I think that's probably going to be Pascal Gross and Mamou Dahoud in there or Billy Gilmore. Those two are going to have a big responsibility in dropping back really quickly to just help out the support in the defence so that either Dunk, Webster or Van Heck um, push on to the right back, cover cover Milner's defensive duties, basically. But I think if Newcastle can act quickly and learn what West Ham have done, then I think I think it's going to be I think it's going to be another frustrating day at the Amex for us. I mean, Anthony Gordon had an absolute brilliant game on the left for Newcastle against Liverpool. He scored the goal and he had... Uh, Alexander Arnold on 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 toast. You know, every time he ran at him, he couldn't handle him, and that's one of the supposedly best you know right backs in in the world. So it, it will be interesting to see him up against James Milner if indeed Milner does remain in that right back position. I mean, people of the podcast who listen to it week in week out know that I'm a big fan of Milner, and I've been banging on about the experience that he has, and maybe the lack of experience Newcastle have aside from Kieran Trippier. You know, a wise head. Just how how big of a deal is it that James Milner signed for Brighton? What does he bring to 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 the side? I mean, as you mentioned, late thirties, nearing the end of his career. But uh, for me, I think that's a really shrewd signing. Absolutely, I think when when we went up, I got asked the question, "Who's your dream signing?" And I said James Milner straight away, just because of not only is he just such a great versatile play you know he can play at the back he can orchestrate the midfield well he's such an important leader he has all the leadership traits that you need from such an experienced player and he's not afraid to have weight on his shoulders either um and he's more than happy to carry the pressure if and when it's needed when we were playing Luton I think we were 2-0 up at this point and we were celebrating and James Milner got 
the players rounds like getting them up for a huddle and then he was kind of like he was sending out that message saying you know we can't rest we've got to keep on pushing keep on doing it and i think one of our players i can't remember who i think it was dehoud he misplaced a pass and james milner on the other side of the pitch is going absolutely mental at him and that's the kind of like the, the standards has always been there but we needed someone on the pitch to really enforce it because when you look at the squad last season, we didn't really have that apart from, I would probably say Veltman for his European experience and Danny Welpick as well. But you needed someone in that midfield that kind of like, you know, the rough and ready, the guy's not afraid to get stuck in. You needed that one to kind of like, really kind of like be like, almost like he, he sets the stand, he sets the tone. And he, he tells you exactly how he wants to do it. And not only does he tell you, he shows you as well. He's not afraid to in that game. There was a cracking challenge he did against Luton as well. And I think he, I, th- I want to say it was either Gross or Dehoud he was pointed to. He goes, that's what I want you to do. That's what I'm expecting of you to do. And he did that so well. And he, he's just, he, he, and he's a big influence in that dressing room. I think when the guy, if I was a player, if I was a fly on that wall, I think everyone would have stunned and been absolutely silent when James Milner walked in to the first training ground uh, changing room because... You know, this guy, this guy's walking in with Premier League titles, Champions League titles, Champions League finals. He's been, he, he's done it all and more. So he knows exactly what is to ex- what is expected, and he's been at the he's been at the best times. He's been at the worst times of it as well, and he knows what needs to be done beforehand before the whistle has even been blown. So he he's definitely someone that's going to be instrumental for us. And if it's not going to be on the pitch, it's definitely going to be on off the pitch in the dressing room as well. On the uh, the match preview, my course, John Gibson said, if Anthony Gordon uh, is up against Milner, then Milner will be uh, retired before the final whistle. Is that a little bit unfair? Very unfair. <laughs> I think I think I think when, when people say that, I think they just don't see what M- Milner has to offer. He's not. There's a lot of p- players out there. I think there was a few fans in Brighton that were just a bit pessimistic because he can't run, and I'm fed up with it. I call them the FIFA pundits because all they're obsessed about is pace stats. James Milner is such an intelligent and fantastic player, and he complements the likes of Pascal Gross and anyone else in that midfield and just anyone around him, really, that he can offer what he's needing in attack, in defence, on the ball, off the ball. He's just someone that is so instrumental and intelligently gifted and brilliant. And he's managed to prolong his career because he's able to adapt. And I think if any player is able to adapt to the point where they're playing in their late 30s at the highest level with plenty of football potential going into 40 in the late 40s, 50 game seasons like he has done, then you know that you're playing with someone that is has got this ability and aura about them that is second to none. And I don't and I, I think I think that comments a little bit is a little bit naive, but I, th- I think that you just you're not appreciating what James is all about yeah tremendous plan uh, I like Danny Welbeck as well I think just to see him still going strong at 32-33 I know he doesn't score a boatload of goals but he seems to be imperative to what Brighton are, are achieving and really important that they've got those kind of experienced heads alongside Lewis Dunk as well just to help the youngsters that they are bringing through settle and you know uh, develop and I, I was going to ask you for, your, for your, your key man you know the one that Newcastle United really need to keep quiet. I, I, I mean, if I, if I was to take a guess, I, I, Matoma maybe out on the left. Or, I mean, sorry, March has suddenly found the, the form looking like the Premier League player. I'm, I'm suspecting Brighton fans always felt he could be. There's a lot of names 
I suspect you, you, you could pick out, but which one are you going to go for? I mean, you've, you, you've taken the top two out of my mouth, really. <laughs> I mean, Koro Matoma has just set set the world alight. He's such a wonderfully gifted player. And I, I was a big fan of uh, Spurs managers, uh, Angie Postacoglu's rant about him, saying that, well, I knew about him when I was in Japan. And then when he was at Celtic, he he heard about him, Matoma signing for us and then going to Belgium. And he was like saying, this guy's going to break it. He's going to absolutely smash it. And he's just set this whole new standard in terms of playing on the wing. He's, you know, he's he's quick. He's brilliant on the ball. He's not afraid to run along that, you know, that touchline uh, against the fence. He he's not afraid to take them on in the penalty box and uh, almost lose the ball. This, this guy's got a thesis on dribbling. For goodness' sake, he's he he, know, he knows the art both in practice and in theory. And then you've got Solly March, and I do think that Solly March is going to go out with. A, a clear message to Southgate. I think it, if I was March, I would be fuming the fact that I got missed out on the um, England squad list because he, he's he, he's in the best form of his life at the moment. A few years ago, Glenn Murray was in an interview and he said that Solly March is the most frustrating player because what he does on the training pitch is utterly frightening, but he doesn't do it on the on the on the football pitch on come Saturday. And now under the Zerbi, it's it, that that's almost been unlocked and he's just. He's become a different player altogether. He's just hit not one gear, but I would say about three or five new gears because he's he's just unlocked that unhid, unhidden potential that we all knew was there. But it never seemed to be the case when he was under Potter or under Hewton. It was getting there, but it just never seemed to be like, yeah, we've smashed it now. We know we've unlocked Solly March into, you know, top six territory. And Deserby's done that well. So I think the wingers are going to be an issue for you. And I'll probably go so much to say Jao Pedro as well, because, I mean, he's he's been wonderful for us from the start, from the absolute start. And he's only played two full matches and a sub appearance too. And I think he's he's going to be a handful as well. Yeah, one of the script writers get their way, the headline writers, then Pedro will end up scoring against Newcastle because it's no secret Newcastle were big fans of him last summer and in January as well. But he's, he's ended up at, at Brighton. Uh, just clarify for us then, because we, we've spoken a lot about what West Ham did and how Newcastle might approach the game. But from the word go on Saturday evening, what are we expecting Brighton to do? Are they going to have a lot of the ball? Is that is that the best? Is, is that what they're going to do? Or are they going to allow Newcastle to come on to them? What, what, are, what are we expecting? I think the way that Newcastle plays, I, I, I wouldn't expect Deserby to hug the ball a lot. I think he's going to be quite um, economical with the ball. I think he's going to be fair. I would say 55-45% possession in Brighton's favour, I would say, because it's going to be end-to-end. It's going to be really exciting football. I mean, it's going to be wonderful for neutrals and it's going to be, you know, our, our watches are going to put, our smart watches are going to alert us that our heart rate is going at an astronomical rate and we're not active enough. So I think our heart rates are going to be tested to the max because we're going to be one minute. We're going to be gasping for air that hoping that the opponent misses. And then the next bit we're excited because we might have a goal scoring opportunity. It's it's going to be a pretty tiresome 90 minutes for the players and probably even more so for the fans as well, who are going through this emotional roller coaster. So I think the Zerbi is going to be focusing more on just going for that direct approach. I don't think he's going to be more patient with the ball like he was at West Ham. I think he's going to be telling them, no, you've got to set the stand, you've got to push on, you've got to set the tone, you've got to get that first goal in and you've got to get it in quickly and then we have to get the second goal in quickly. I wouldn't be put it past us that we're going to be talking about a game that's had about 
three or four goals inside the first 30, 35 minutes because both teams want that response. They want to go in quickly and they both have that same mentality and that's they have the football plan to complement that as well. So it's either going to be two goalkeepers having an absolute masterclass again and Nick Pope frustrated me last season back when it was under Potter because I think I think if it wasn't if he wasn't on that form that day, we'll be talking about three four one win for us. But he was just superb, I thought. I know a lot of probably a lot of lot of your listeners might disagree with me in thinking that I've seen a completely different match, but uh, that, that's just me looking through blue and white eyes. So I think we're gonna be in for a really exciting match. Um from end to end but I do think that we're going to be looking at testing Nick Pope inside the first 10 if not 5 minutes going to be interesting to see the, the, the team sheet for Newcastle now because there are a few injury concerns with um, Joe Linton uh, one of them and Sven Botman the other one which if Botman's out you might see Dan Byrne move to uh, centre back and either Matt Target or, or Lewis Hall come in I don't think um that will happen, I think, if Botman is out. It'll be Jamal Lascelles um, who comes in and Dan Byrne will remain out on the left. But Dan Byrne will definitely play back at, at the Amex. Uh, all that remains to be done, Tom, is to ask you uh, for your score prediction. You've, you, you've predicted goals, but I want, to, I want to know exactly how you think this match is going to go. Do you know what? I think, I, I think we're going to be in for... There's going to be, I reckon there's going to be at least four goals in this. I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to have to sit on that fence and go with a two-all draw, but I wouldn't be surprised if one side gets that last-minute winner. And I'm, but I'm going to, I'm going to sit on this fence, which is not very comfortable at the moment, and I'm going to go with a two-all draw. Two-all draw. Well, I said in the match preview, Newcastle United win. I'm going to stick with it. Uh, I do think there's going to be goals. I was going to say a two-one there, but I think there's going to be more goals than that. You know, I'm going to go. Th- I'm going to go three-two to Newcastle United. So that's my prediction there. Three-two to Newcastle United. It's going to be entertaining no matter what. But uh, I would substitute the entertainment uh, for a Newcastle United win, as I'm sure you would. But the other way around, um, Tom and Brighton yeah. can secure a win because neither side want to be going into this international break, uh, you know, stewing over a loss because that's not what you want to do. You don't want two weeks to, to, to be thinking where it's all gone wrong this early on in the season. But uh, thank you, Tom, for popping on to the Everything is Black and White podcast. A privilege to chat to you all things Brighton. To you guys listening, please hit that subscribe button on your podcast provider. Leave us a rating review if you haven't done so already and head over to chroniclelive.co.uk where we will be bringing you live coverage of Newcastle's trip to Brighton through a dedicated live blog. I hope you enjoy the rest of your weekend. And from me, I'll see you very soon. Mm-hmm.